Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. Well, hello there, Impact Makers. This is 2020. (laughs) That was my Barbara Walters impersonation for those of you that are old enough to remember who Barbara Walters actually is. So if you know, you know. And if you don't, welcome to 2020, the year of our lives. (laughs) If you're listening to this, you've made it through the last decade and have already dipped a toe into the new one. At the time of this recording, it's the first week of the new year, and I'm thankful that the new you or the same you has made the decision to join me for this episode of the Impact Makers podcast. I'm really looking forward to showing up for you each week as I share tools, tips, and resources to help you build a career that you love and to live a life that matters. As I'm sure many of you did, I spent some time during the end of the year holidays to reflect on the past year, the past decade, and my life in general. I also spent a little time, not enough yet, to consider the new year and the new decade that lies ahead. If I'm blessed to be able to make it through to celebrate 2030, there's a whole lot that I need and want to do. At this point, I still haven't finished my 2020 goal-setting process. I don't like to be a stickler for it being done by January 1st, or I'm a procrastinator. Either one. You pick. But during the long drive to Tennessee to be with my family for Christmas, I did spend some time thinking about what needs to happen in order for this next year to be my best year ever. Yep, I was driving down the highway writing ideas on the back of an envelope, but I wasn't looking at it, I promise, because once I started the focus on the steps that I wanted to take, I thought they'd be worth sharing with you. They weren't that easy to read once I stopped, but I got what I needed to on paper. So I'm inviting you to join me in making 2020 not only my best year ever, but your best year ever, too. But first, it takes a village to bring my podcast to you each week, and I want to thank King University for their support, which makes this podcast possible. King is proud to offer 16 online degrees with accelerated programs and affordable tuition so you can start a new career faster than ever. You can choose from programs in technology, communication, and business, like an online MBA with six concentrations, including human resource management. And because the program is offered fully online, you can earn your degree on your own schedule in as little as 16 months. Please visit jennifermcclure.net forward slash King U to learn more about the King difference today. And that's K-I-N-G, the letter U. So as I mentioned earlier, I was traveling to Tennessee a few days before the Christmas holiday to spend the week with my mother, my brother, and my extended family. It's about a five and a half hour drive, and so I tend to listen to podcasts, do a lot of thinking, and of course, on the trip, I had brought with me some materials to spend some time doing my goal-setting process. My mom lives on a farm that's in a rural area, doesn't have great internet, so I always try to bring some things to do that don't involve being online. 
But in preparation for that, I was kind of thinking about thinking about my goal setting process for 2020 and what I needed to do in order to make it the best year ever. So I'm going to share 10 things that kind of popped into my head during that drive. Now, did I do them over the holidays? Did I actually work on my goal setting? No, I did not. I was actually a little more present with my family, thankfully, and also just didn't do anything, which there's also something to be said for that. So I will be doing these things in 2020 and also have begun to take some steps in that direction. But again, as I started thinking about them, I was like, these are actually pretty good and something that I would share with others. So why not share it with my podcast team? So I'll just start out no particular order here, but probably this one is a good one to go first. Number one is I think you should set goals in all aspects of your life. Now, when I say that, I know I always have to look at my own example. That's that's my frame of reference is to kind of look back and say for many, many years, I, of course, set goals in my job because that was something that as a human resources leader, I was often kind of leading that process in terms of performance evaluations and encouraging or making other people set goals with their team members. And those goals were always related to the business probably as they should be in in some respect. But, you know, whether it was financial goals or quality targets or safety goals, they tended to be centered around numbers and accomplishments and making sure that a new system was implemented or something was done that related ultimately to the bottom line. And then when I started in executive search and also started my own business 10 years ago, I kind of took that same thinking into the process. So every year, if I set goals at all, because no longer was I required to do it. So now sometimes I just didn't do it, which is unfortunate. But when I did set goals, they tended to be related to the amount of money that I wanted to make in a certain year or the number of speaking gigs that I wanted to book or how much I wanted my expenses to be reduced. I took that same thinking into my new work life as a business owner. And I learned when I was in a mastermind group with Mike Kim, who has been a guest on this show, and I've mentioned a couple of times before, I'll link to his website in the show notes. Mike was the leader of our mastermind group. And in, I believe it was 2017, he gifted each one of us with the best year ever, five days to the best year ever program from Michael Hyatt. And I've decided actually that Michael Hyatt and Oprah Winfrey should be sponsors of this podcast because they get mentioned so often here. So I'm just going to start keeping tab. Every time I mention the name Michael Hyatt or Oprah Winfrey, I'm going to write down $5 and send them a bill at the end of the year because they're getting an awful lot of press out of this. (laughs) We'll see how that works out. But anyway, Michael Hyatt's five days of the best year ever course was really, really helpful to me in kind of thinking about my goals in a much kind of broader perspective other than just the business, which if you do think about it, and again, he's smart like that, we are whole human beings. And we tend to say we we tend to couch things, I think, in terms of like weight loss, or, you know, I want to make a certain amount of money more in the resolutions category and, and goal setting has typically been for business related tasks. But he kind of brought it full circle to that goal setting is really a process in his course related to 10 aspects of your life. And I'll just list those out for you. Again, I'll link to the Michael Hyatt website where he has both a best year ever now course 
He's written a best-selling book on it as well and now has a coaching workshop on it too. But if you want to know more about that, you can go there. But the 10 aspects that he encourages you to set goals in are physical, intellectual, social, financial, spiritual, marital, parental, vocational, avocational, emotional. I don't know if it was intentional that they all end in all, but probably. I don't think he does things that aren't very intentional. And that's a lot. And, you know, going through the course and the program, it does take, that's why I did take it with me this year again. I did it in my mastermind group in 2000, I believe it was uh, 17, 2018. I did it on my own. 2019, I never did set goals, which we'll talk about in a minute. And in 2020, I'm going to use that framework again. And, and I think, you know, sitting down to think about each one of those things is helpful, but it's also a bit overwhelming. You know, 10 goals is a lot, although I'll probably end up with 10. You may end up with 10 or more. I think more than 10 is probably way too much. But, and, you know, for me, for example, I don't have a, a marital goal because I'm not married, but I couch parental and marital in relationships. So I kind of, you know, like most things, made it my own little system. And so instead of maybe 10 areas, I like to look at it as personal work, family relationships, and physical and financial. So that's that's five. And a little bit more manageable to me, but it's thinking differently than I did in the past when goal setting, again, was really just about financial and business-related goals. And so that process has been really helpful to me. Again, not to think about things as like a New Year's resolution, but to be very specific in not only what the goal is, but why I'm setting a goal in that area, why it's important to me, what's at stake if I do or do not achieve it, and also how I'm going to track it. And of course, I use Michael Hyatt's full focus planner to track my goal process. You don't have to do that. But I think it's important to set goals in all areas of your life. So if you've already set your goals for 2020, maybe you're like I have been in the past or even as a solopreneur or a freelancer, you have goals set for your business. But if you didn't take the time to actually set some personal, relational and financial, spiritual goals for yourself, I'd highly encourage you to do that as well. A lot of times those things are what ultimately make the work-related or business-related goals successful. And I, you know, I incorporate, like most people, I think I incorporate a lot of what I've learned in different programs into my goal-setting process. Definitely use Michael Hyatt's Five Days the Best Year Ever framework for setting the goals. But I also like the idea that uh, another person who I follow, Shalene Johnson, refers to a push goal. Being the one big goal that you set that ultimately if you accomplish that, all of the other things would more than likely be possible. So when I'm thinking about my goals for 2020 and beyond, I want to set goals in all aspects of my life. And I also want to think about what is probably the goal that will have the most impact on those things for me. And I have some thoughts on that, but uh, I haven't gone through the process again yet. So I'll share maybe more about that in the future. But it might be something related to a book. Who knows? You'll find out. But, <laughs> you know, thinking about a goal that if I achieved it would really help me in a lot of the other areas, something related to a book might be in the works. 
So anyway, number one that I want you to think about and to do in order to make this year your best year ever is to set goals in all aspects of your life. And again, I'll link to the five days to the best year ever products, but certainly you don't need to do that to sit down and think about what are the areas of your life that you want to make sure that you're intentional about both improving, but continuing to maintain forward motion and progress in. Number two, this is where maybe it'll get a little different than what you expected. I want you to do that thing that you say you're going to do someday. I mean, you probably have many of those things that you're like, someday when I get enough money, I'm going to do this. Or when I'm financially free, I'll do this. Or when I get married, I'll do this. Or, you know, whatever it is. I know, like me, you have things that you say you're going to do someday. And maybe it's because I'm getting older, you know, we tend to get maybe a little more wisdom as we get older, or maybe it's just because there have been a lot of things that have happened over the last few years in particular that I said I was going to do someday that now I no longer have the opportunity to do those things and I have regrets. And so there have been enough of those things that have happened, you know, again, not, not all of them earth shattering, but that I look back on it and I say, why did I not do that anyway? So let me give you some examples. And these are all personal examples to me, but I think you'll probably be able to relate. And I, as I said, I know you probably have some yourselves. Hey, no shocker. The first thing I'll mention is I'd like to get fitter and lose some weight and look like a supermodel. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to do that. But ultimately, especially at my stage in life, it really is about health and that my health provides me the opportunity to do the things that I love. In particular, because of the job that I have, which is speaking and traveling, it is a grind and a grueling pace to to travel, to drag a suitcase, to lift it into the overhead bins. And I'm never in an airport that I'm not reminded how grateful I am that I have my mobility. When I see all the people lined up in wheelchairs to get on a, a plane or people who have difficulty getting around. I want to make sure that I'm physically fit enough to do the things that I want to do and to accomplish what I want to accomplish. And one of those things is related to my riding, my horseback riding. You know, I'm older by 40 years than most of the young women at my barn. We currently don't have any young men or men there that ride. And so, yeah, I mean, most of the women my age who do ride horses are maybe riding ponies now because they're closer to the ground. <laughs> and I have chosen to have a horse and ride a horse that is a real challenge for me, who's very talented, who can do all of the things that I would love to be able to do in terms of my goals in riding, which is jumping a certain height or showing at a certain level. But I'm not fit enough to meet her there. And it happens often. I share memories on Facebook where I talk about my journey with Roxy is her name and and how I want to get better and fitter so that I can actually meet her where she is and again, achieve the goals that I have that she could do if I were fitter to do that. But here we are. And I've been writing Roxy now for a couple of years. I've had her longer than that. And I'm still not there. I'm actually gone backwards. Uh, so 2020 needs to be the year that if I'm serious, that if I do want to do this before I'm too old to ride, whatever that might be, 
I need to do that because I've missed out on so many opportunities and my horse is getting older. And I had a horse prior to her who was super talented. And I did a lot of when I get enough money, I'll do this. And when I I'll get fitter, then I'll do this. And Sarabi passed away in January of 2019 unexpectedly. She was already retired. But retiring her sent me through a whole phase of regret of what I did not accomplish with her because of me. The fact that I had wanted to wait until I had enough money, the fact that I, you know, wanted to wait until I had more time to be able to ride. And with Roxy, I've made the time to ride. Money will always be an option with horses and showing, but it really comes down to am I fit enough and I'm not and I don't want another year to pass me by. Another thing, you know, related to my parents, my father passed away in 2012 and my mother is you know, got her own challenges in her 80s, but she's very fit and healthy in terms of what she's able to do. But more than once, I've wished my dad was very interested in our family history. And, you know, I grew up on a family farm that's been in our family for generations. I'm the fifth generation in my family to live in the log house that my great, great, great grandmother built and my mother still lives in today. But he wrote a lot of the stuff down. It's, it's certainly in the house and some of it in the safe deposit box. But I really regret that I did not ever take the time to sit with him and record what he knew, whether it was on audio or video. And I still say that about my mom today. I would like for my mother to share more about her story and about our story. And she now is the keeper of all the history of the things that are on the farm and in our house. And I continue to say someday, and I need to make that someday now before that opportunity has passed me by. So that's something that this year I'm going to make a priority. And a third thing in terms of the someday, maybe I've been in my house that I live in for 26 years in Cincinnati, Ohio. I have been living in that house. Both My son is here. Sometimes he's he's about to graduate from college and move on to the next phase of his life. And for years, though, I've been saying, I don't need this house and I'm ready to sell my house. And I've offered to give my house to people for what I paid for it <laughs> with all the furniture in it. And I just I've literally never done anything to make that happen. So I made some decisions over the holidays. I'm actually I signed a lease on an apartment. I'll be moving in March of this year to an apartment. But I have done zero things to sell my house. Of course, it's only been two days, but that's something I'm scared to death. Every night I sit here and I think, oh, this is a mistake. I want to tear up the lease. I'm not going to do this. But I know it's something that I need to do. And I've been saying I'm going to do it someday. And so I've taken that leap. So I want to encourage you to think about what's that thing or those things, maybe just a couple. There are probably several, like for me and others. But what is one or two things or one or two things that you have been saying someday? And how can you make that today or this year? Because I have too many regrets. We all have regrets. I have regrets, regrets, regrets about my horses and what I have not accomplished with them or what I did not do for them. I have regrets about my family. I have regrets about, you know, how I spend my money or my time. And the reality is I am in control of that for the most part. And I need to do that differently this year. So number three, kind of similar to that, I want you to do something that makes you uncomfortable. 
And I just mentioned moving for me. I'm super uncomfortable. It needs to happen. But I am like freaking out on the inside about all the things of selling a house and downsizing from a large home to a, a not as large apartment. And I'm just going to approach it one day at a time and hope that I'll make that through without much stress. But I can also say in terms of doing something that makes you uncomfortable, it is 100% accurate that if I look back over my life and certainly my career, the biggest gains, the greatest joys, the moments of the highest mountaintops have all come about as a result of taking a step that made me uncomfortable or surviving a situation where I was uncomfortable. Example, starting my own business. You know, it, it wasn't ever comfortable to make that decision. It was scary. It's still scary. It's still uncomfortable. But wow, would my life have not been everything that it is today. And, and it can be so much more because I took that step, even though there was not a lot of certainty about what would happen. I didn't know what I was doing and I became uncomfortable. Some of my best life moments, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, things that I have positive memories about are in situations where I was uncomfortable and I survived. They almost all are related to travel and trips. So I won't go into all those stories, but the best travel memories, the best travel stories are all almost disasters. You know, it's the, the inevitable uh, disaster that you were able to avert that didn't happen. So uh, I think these are things that Getting uncomfortable, there's a real magic and a growth in making that happen. And I'll mention my horse, Roxy, again. When someone asks me, and I think I've mentioned on the podcast at least once before, when someone asks me what my greatest achievement is, I've got a lot of achievements that I'm proud of or, or grateful to have been able to do. But the one that comes to mind, maybe because it's a recent, is with my horse, Roxy. I bought her to sell her because I already had two horses. You know, and my trainer identified her as a horse with talent and the price was right. And I had, I, you know, again, another uncomfortable. I didn't need a horse, didn't want to buy a horse, but for whatever reason, bought her with the intention of selling her and is with almost all things animal and horse related with me and probably you. Once something comes in the family, it typically doesn't leave. But right away after she got here, it was pretty clear that Roxy really wasn't the horse for me in terms of, you know, how spicy she is and how talented she is. Uh, it was a little scary because of uh, she's a wonderful mannered horse on the ground and sweet, but she is very speedy and a little unpredictable under saddle which is part of her talent. And so for almost two years, I didn't ride her. She, you know, theoretically was for sale, but I didn't ride her, you know, maybe other than a couple of times because I was afraid, frankly. And so some more talented college students leased her. My trainer I took her under her wing and they began showing at some upper levels. And until I had to retire my heart horse, Sarabi, uh, and I was faced with, I didn't have a horse to ride, even though I owned three because the other one's a baby. And I sent a text to my trainer the day after Sarabi died. And I said, we need to sell Sarab or Roxy because I need a horse that I can ride. And so she said she'd start working on that in earnest. And then I got to thinking about it and I thought, she's talented. She's wonderful. She's sweet. She's in the barn. I need a horse to ride today. It's helpful to me for my mental health. I need to challenge myself to ride my own horse. And so July of 2018, I challenged myself to ride her for 30 days. 
it was called. I did a hashtag on inter- on Twitter and, and Facebook and shared my progress. Hashtag the Roxy Challenge or Roxy Challenge, I think it was. And I was terrified and it didn't always go well and it still doesn't always go well. But wow, what progress I've made as a writer. She has made me a better writer. I am thrilled with her. The most thrilling moments I have are with my horses and her. And none of that would have happened if I had not decided to push through my discomfort. And again, it's not always successful. We still have our disastrous moments. And you've heard about my riding accident, not necessarily her fault, but getting uncomfortable is really, really important to your personal growth and to your achievement. So what is something that either you already know you need to attempt, may not be successful at, but that you'll be uncomfortable or you are uncomfortable with doing because more than likely that's where the most growth and your future success lies. Number four, choose one thing that you'll do every day or at least consistently. There are so many examples around me of people who have achieved success. And when you kind of talk to them or I listen to an interview with them, it often comes back to that they have been consistent with something that ultimately really fueled their personal or professional growth. A couple of examples here are Jesse Cole, who's the owner of the Savannah Bananas. If you've never heard of him, just Google Jesse Cole or Savannah Bananas. They are are a, I think it's like they're below like minor league, whatever that might be, my college league. I'm not sure, but it's, you know, it's the the local ballpark in, in the Savannah community, which uh, you may have a, a baseball team in your community that's similar to that. And there's one right down the street from me. I don't even know where they play or what they do. People just don't go there. And he took over this team and he has a whole story and he's written a book and he's a speaker. So, um, you know, again, I'll link to his website and information in the the show notes. He's really about standing out in order to be noticed. And he actually, he wears a yellow tuxedo, which that that's kind of standing out for sure. You know, maybe, and Savannah Bananas are like one of the most successful things out there going. They sell out, they're sold out for years to come in terms of their ballpark and their experience. And a lot of it's been because he's chosen to do some things differently. But I've heard a few podcast interviews with him and I I will buy his book because I'm interested in his story. But one of the things I've heard him mention more than once, and again, I'll link to a blog post he wrote about it, where he took a thank you challenge. And he said in January of 2016, shortly after he chose the word care to be his one word for the year, he knew he needed to keep focused on caring every day. So he decided to do a thank you experiment and write a handwritten thank you letter every day for a year. And so since January of 2016, he writes at least one handwritten thank you note or letter every day of the year. So he's got over 600 of them now. And he says, it has changed my life. I wrote to former teachers, coaches, long lost friends, authors, restaurant servers, business leaders and musicians, anyone who I truly appreciated and anyone who made an impact on my life, no matter how small or how big. And I think, you know, what he's seen from that. Now, he's got a lot of things going that have contributed to his success. But again, by asking him what he did, he chose to do one thing and he made a commitment to do it every day. Now, you've also heard guests on this podcast, including my friend Laurie Rudiman, who was my first guest on the podcast. Laurie writes every single day. 
She's a writer. She writes every day. She doesn't publish on her blog every day, but she writes every day. And ultimately, that turned into helping her to achieve her dream, which was to sign a book deal to become a traditionally published author. So that's coming Let's Fix Work or whatever the ultimate title will end up being uh, January of 2021. So less than a year from now. But she's been working at her craft not just when she feels like it or when she's inspired or when the idea comes to her, but every single day. My friends Chris Dunn and Tim Sackett, who've also been guests on this podcast, have made the commitment, Chris, for seven or eight years in a row, wrote every business day on his blog, and it helped him to develop his career, to become known as an influencer. He also published a book last year. Chris was one of the first people that I started learning from, and I consider him a mentor both virtually and now in person to me. And... I think a lot of that started because of that commitment to publish five days a week, every day. Tim started blogging a little bit later than that, but has also not only done that every day, but continued to do that. Chris took some time off to write a book, but Tim continues to publish every day. Also published a book last year, but it's really expanded his career opportunities and the things that he's able to do. Amy Porterfield, my personal Oprah. Amy should also pay me to sponsor this podcast, uh, podcast every week. And I look forward to every Thursday is Amy Porterfield podcast published day. <laughs> and I look for it in my feed. And there have been a couple of times where either because of a snafu or something, it didn't show up on Thursday. And even though I have plenty of podcasts to listen to, my day is practically ruined <laughs> because I depend on her to show up every week consistently. And I think her podcast, she has a lot going for her, but her podcast has certainly fueled her business growth and success. And a lot of it is about showing up every day. So what are the things, whether it's something work-related like writing or podcasting or something personal like writing a thank you note, or maybe it's related to exercise. What I'm considering as I do my goal setting process is I want to choose that one thing that I'm going to do. And I think I am leaning on probably will do it, whether I make it my one thing or not, is I'm going to commit to showing up every week for you on this podcast. That is harder than it sounds, but I'm going to do it. I know my podcast team has had to jump through some hoops in order to to publish for me due to timing in the past. So to say I'm going to show up every week on my podcast isn't as simple as that. It is much more about batching podcasts, getting ahead of things staying in a regular creativity and writing mode, making sure that I'm thinking about what I have to share with you or who I need to interview in order to make sure you have the best insights to make the most impact at work and in life. So that's a big commitment, but I think that's probably the one that I'm going to lean on and where I believe I can show up consistently in order to achieve results. So that's what I'm thinking about for something I can do every day. What can you do every single day, every week, once a quarter, whatever it is, choose your frequency and then show up consistently, but make sure it's challenging enough that it's uncomfortable enough that it's not just, hey, I'm going to get up out of bed every day. And for some of you, that may be challenging, but for most of us, you're going to do that anyway. <laughs> I'm going to brush my teeth every day. Again, some of you, maybe that would be an improvement, but make sure that it's something doesn't have to be earth shattering. But where will you know at the end of 2020 that you showed up, you were consistent and you achieved that? goal. Okay, number five, stop doing something that you know you shouldn't be doing or you don't want to do, but you just haven't stopped doing. And again, maybe I 
I don't think I'm the only one here. There are plenty of things in my life that I say on a regular basis, I shouldn't be doing that or I should stop doing that. A lot of that may be related to diet and exercise. But for me, and again, to give you some examples from what I'm thinking about as I kind of set my goals and prepare to make this the best year ever, what should I stop doing or stop doing that I don't want to do? And for me, a lot of that is, again, health related. And I'm looking at staying up after midnight or after. I consider myself a night owl. I tend to prefer to sleep later during the day. And I don't know that I necessarily plan to, but I most often end up going to bed 12, 1 o'clock time frame, sometimes 2, especially on the weekends. 3 a.m. was this past weekend. There's no reason for that. And what ultimately happens is a lot of times I do get up later in the day and then I'm like, oh, wow, I've already missed half the day. Or, you know, I could have done so much before it's, you know, rushed to get things done. So I need to make sure that I'm thinking about setting a reasonable bedtime. So maybe it's 11 p.m. instead of midnight that maybe we could eventually move that up to 10 p.m. But that's probably a place where I could have some real impact in my life if I'm able to stop telling myself that I'm a night owl and it's okay to stay up doing nothing, by the way, till midnight or after. And in conjunction with that, I'm becoming to the realization, although I don't want to admit it, but I probably need to attend a 12-step program that I am addicted to my devices. Not in the way that a lot of people maybe are addicted to their devices, but I tend to ignore my phone, my cell phone, um, during the daytime. In other words, it may not even always be with me. It's definitely not something I'm picking up and checking all throughout the day, probably because I'm on my computer a lot of the day. But at night, while I'm watching TV and or doing nothing or at a restaurant or whatever, I am just doing what everyone does. I'm scrolling through Instagram. I'm looking Uh, to find something interesting on Facebook. I am looking at websites. I'm shopping, you know, whatever that might be. And for me, a big one is I play a game called Two Dots. Uh, I would highly recommend not downloading it, not starting it. (laughs) And so I have multiple times tried to set a rule that I won't be on my device after a certain time at night. And 100% of the time, I fail at that the first day. And I tell myself it's okay. It is today. You know, it's 930. You know, I said nine o'clock and it's 930. But, you know, I, I need to do this right now. And then 930 turns into 1230. So I am going to commit. I haven't decided on the time yet. This is where I'm waffling, but I'm going to I'm going to commit. Right now I'm saying no devices after 10 p.m. Now, that obviously affects my sleep because I'm looking at the screen and it's affecting my sleep. And so I know those two things are related, sleeping better, going to bed earlier. And it also, it's now it's becoming just, uh, if I can't overcome the don't pick up my device after a certain time at night when it's not necessary to do so, then then that's obviously something that I want to get in front of because that thing has a hold of me and I don't want that. So what is it that you need to stop doing? And I'd really encourage you and myself to look beyond things like, you know, not eating a certain food or, you know, things that are kind of diet or health related. What is something that you need to stop doing? Do you need to stop apologizing to people? Do you need to stop allowing people to schedule meetings over time that you've blocked for personal creativity? Do you need to stop telling yourself that you're not a writer and you can't write? You know, whatever that is, something that you should stop doing 
I think, again, can lead to big gains for you if you get really honest with yourself. Uh, I've been a little honest, I guess, with you, but I'm sure once I sit down and I really push myself to be honest with me when nobody else is looking, there are things that I need to stop doing that, like that push goal, will ultimately help me to achieve the goals that I want to related to my personal growth and my business. Number six, travel somewhere you've always wanted to go. Now, I'm blessed and lucky and love to travel, and I get to do that uh, in my job a lot. And part of why I choose the work that I do is because I, I want to be able to do that. And how I choose to run my business involves the opportunity to go places and see places. So, you know, that's the life I've chosen. That may not be what you've chosen or may you what you want to do, but I'm sure that all of us have places I do still. I have places that I want to visit. One for me was Ireland. I had always wanted to go to Ireland and and for years had wanted to ride a horse, gallop a horse down a beach in Ireland. Finally made that happen this past June, in June of 2019. And it was glorious. And like all things, I'm on the horse riding down the beach and I'm thinking, why have I not done this sooner? Why have I not done this sooner? Well, you could say, well, I didn't have the money or I didn't have the time. We all know those are not real excuses. It means I didn't choose to prioritize my time and I didn't choose to prioritize where I spent my money. But I think it really became clear for me. Again, these are first world issues. I know that. So I'm not, you know, there may be real issues that prevent you from traveling to the place that you've wanted to go. But more than likely, it's some version of money or time. Uh, or commitments to other people. There are other people involved, I'm sure. But I did last year at the end of 2018. Uh, in December, I ended up, I think I was 400 and something miles short of platinum status on Delta. And I only fly Delta. And so having status on Delta has really, really spoiled me. And I don't know that there's a great difference between gold and platinum status, but being 454 miles short, I think I'd been a few thousand miles short the year before, but I was like, this just cannot stand. And of course, if you want to buy the miles in order to hit the the right medallion level status on Delta or any airline, it costs a fortune. And so I sat down and I thought about it. It was the 1st of December. And I said, where can I fly to a one stop, you know, a direct flight from Cincinnati, stay a couple of nights, you know, and one night, you know, a lot of people do mileage runs as they're called at the end of the year. They just fly there and fly back. But I was like, hey, if I'm going to go somewhere, I'm going to stay at least one night, direct flight so that I'm not wasting that time that I can do for less than $500. And so I looked up on the website and there were a couple of options. One was Salt Lake City and one was Phoenix, Arizona. Direct flight from Cincinnati. I think it was 300 and something dollars, even though I booked the week before. And so I booked it and I booked to, well, I decided to stay two nights because I'm like, hey, I've, I think I've only been to Phoenix like once. It's going to be warm there in December. It won't be warm in Cincinnati. So maybe I should go somewhere. And I actually asked on Facebook. I said, I'm going to Phoenix. I'm going to stay there a couple of days. What should I do? And a lot of good suggestions. But then one of my friends, Fred Eck, said, hey, Jennifer, you know, the Grand Canyon's just a couple of hours north of there. I think it's a little more than a couple, but it's sort of close. And I've been to the Grand Canyon 20-something years ago. And I thought, well, that'd just be awesome. I'll fly into Phoenix. I'll drive to the Grand Canyon. I'll stay outside of the Grand Canyon somewhere. Looked around and like, hey, Sedona. I've never been to Sedona. So I'll go to the Grand Canyon. I'll drive to Sedona from the Grand Canyon and then the same day and just take, you know, a day and a half trip to Phoenix. And it turned out to be absolutely lovely. It was the first week of December. I practically had the Grand Canyon to myself. I've learned uh, a couple of times that it is 
absolutely wonderful to visit our national parks or maybe in other countries, you know, historic sites during the holidays or during a time like December, which is not peak time, because nobody's there. Nobody's there. And if you can wear a jacket or it actually, the weather wasn't that bad. There was some snow on the ground in some of the higher elevations, but it was lovely and it was peaceful and it was quiet. And I got to really enjoy the Grand Canyon and then got to Sedona after dark and had a half a day the next day. And I went to do a hike. And while I was there, I'm like, this deserves more than a half day. This is a beautiful place. I'd love to get out and really enjoy it. And I thought to myself during that time, I'm like, this whole trip, you know, yes, it was for nefarious reasons, but the whole trip probably cost me with, I stayed in a nice hotel in Sedona just because that was my choice. I had a coupon for the rental car, so that was free. But of course, I had to pay for gas. And the the plane ticket was probably less than $700. And I kind of thought to myself, how many places could I go for a quick trip like that where I don't think, you know, I think someday I'd like to go visit, you know, again, Glacier National Park, which I did get to go to this year. But I've thought for years I'd love to go to Glacier or I'd love to go to Ireland. Now, that's a little bit more expensive, obviously, but it comes back to, again, travel somewhere that you want to go. Life is too short to miss out on opportunities to explore our beautiful world and to see things that are out there. So don't let 2020 be another year where you say someday, maybe, or when I get enough money. Because if you want to, you know, everybody picks on like the lattes at Starbucks or the avocado toast and how much that costs. I don't know that, you know, you could say I'm not going to go to Starbucks for a year and I'm going to put all that money into uh, an experience. But even if you're not a travel kind of person, I think the opportunity to get out there and see our world is actually more attainable than we all like to think, myself included. And so I'd encourage you to really think about where is it that you want to go? Probably, if you don't think about it being a luxury vacation with the entire family or something like that, and maybe you just want to go with your significant other, or maybe you do want to bring your kids, there are ways to do that that aren't cost prohibitive, and you don't have to even take much more than a long weekend or even a day or two to do it. So that's my encouragement for you to be a little bit different about things I think you should do in 2020 to make it your best year ever. Number seven, have a hobby. Have a hobby and make time for it. (laughs) It's interesting to me, you know, I kind of look back again on my life and we have regrets and things we're proud of or whatever. And, you know, I got married very young. I moved away. My ex-husband had a job in another city after we graduated from college. And I think I lost myself and that's nobody's fault but my own in the sense that I became really all about my work. And that was about it. I didn't have outside activities that I, you know, in college I'd played sports and, you know, grew up around horses and was involved in church activities and those types of things that, you know, until I got married and moved away had kind of been things that I was involved in. But the reality is I didn't have a hobby that I took with me, you know, that I wanted to either keep playing volleyball or basketball or, you know, while I'd find some opportunities to do that, there wasn't anything consistent. And so if you had asked me for years what my hobby was, I would have actually told you it was sleeping, napping. And that was something I did spend a lot of time doing, which is unfortunate. How much fun and activity did I miss because I was sleeping and napping? And then there became a period of time in my life, you know, move further along where probably because I was trying to fill, you know, empty holes in my life that were elsewhere, I would say my hobby was shopping. I would go every weekend to the mall 
multiple malls. That uh, was what I did on Friday. I went to one mall and Saturday I went to one mall. Didn't necessarily buy things. There's a difference between shopping and buying, but that's how I spent my time. And the reality is it wasn't until I got divorced and I was 35 years old and I kind of sat and with myself and I said, where did I go? You know, who am I? What do I do? How do I kind of exist in the world as a person who's no longer married? My family dynamic has changed. Everything's changed but yet there's nothing that's core to who I am. And that's when I actually looked into starting to ride and reconnect with horses again. Wasn't initially successful at that. And long story short, I actually connected with finding a place to take riding lessons because I'd given up on doing that. The internet wasn't what it is today. <laughs> Many years ago, uh, I had found a newsletter for salsa dancing, which I had seen on ESPN. And I thought, well, I'll look for a way to go take salsa dancing lessons. And this newsletter had not only an article that I found on salsa dancing in Cincinnati, but it also had an article about about a girl who had won a riding, you know, hunter jumper competition that actually lived in my neighborhood. And it wasn't so much that I was like, this girl down the street won this blue ribbon. It was like, whoa, she takes lessons at this barn that's right, you know, 30 minutes away. And so I called and I scheduled my first riding lesson. I grew up around horses and rode bareback, you know, rarely rode with a saddle, et cetera. Loved horses my whole entire life until I got married and moved away. Well, I mean, still loved them, just didn't have them in my life. And I started for the first time taking riding lessons. I started taking English riding lessons, which I'd never done so that I could learn how to jump. And an obsession was born. And so now... That defines a lot of who I am, my horses. It's, again, where a lot of my personal accomplishments, the ones that I feel most proud of, have come from. It's where joy comes from for me. It's where friendships have come from. And so now my son, who's getting ready to graduate, has accepted a job, uh, will probably be moving to another city. He hasn't got that part confirmed yet. But in May, he's probably going to be moving and really starting his life. And so I've already really started talking to him about making sure that he has a hobby. You know, his life has really been all about school for the last 12, well, I mean, since he's obviously been in first grade, but this is his second degree. So he's been in college, university for eight years, eight plus years now. And so I want him in order to be a whole person to think about what brings him joy and not be like me and go 20 years without having that thing. So what is it for you? If you don't have a hobby, if you're like me and you're like, well, it's my family or it's sleeping or shopping or something like that, that you know is not something that, I mean, your family gives you joy. I get that. Sleeping might give you joy, but Having a hobby, it might be a sport, it might be crafting, it might be that you volunteer and go out and help others in your community. What is it that you have that helps you to get out of yourself and find pure joy? And I really, really want that for you. And hey, if you've got a hobby, I'd love to hear about it. So, you know, share it on social media with me or DM me on Instagram or something like that. If you share it on social media, hashtag Impact Makers Podcast, I would love to know what your hobby is or what you are going to pursue. I want now, I need more hobbies than just horses because I've become a little bit one dimensional. It's like, if you want to talk to me about horses, I will talk to you till you don't want to hear about horses anymore. But other things I'm not as well versed in. So I'm potentially looking for other hobbies and I'd love to get ideas from you about what you're enjoying out there. All right, number eight, we're on the home stretch here. Plan and invest money 
and time in your personal development. Again, many of you may work in a corporate scenario where you've set goals and maybe one of your goals is to take a training class in this. Or maybe you work for yourself and you haven't really thought about that because money is tight. But I can tell you that the the growth in myself and in my business has come from what I've learned by pursuing learning and development opportunities, even as a self-employed person. And probably missed out on a lot of learning and development opportunities as a person employed in the corporate world because I either waited for that one budgeted class or conference a year, or it wasn't in the budget and therefore I didn't go. Now, again, there are other things I probably could have done that didn't cost money that I should have pursued. But I like the way Dan Miller of, uh, you know, just all around good human and best-selling author or the book 48 Days to the Work You Love. I saw this in a presentation. He's written a blog post on it as well and has a podcast that I'll link to in the show notes where the title of it is Investing in Yourself. And Dan talks about his proposal is that you invest 3% of your income if you make less than $50,000 a year and 5% of your income if you make more than $50,000 a year. That each year when you're setting your goals and your budget, whether that is you as an employee of someone else or if you're self-employed, that you set aside and designate 3 to 5% of your income as something you will spend on your personal development. And I think that's a a more concrete way of looking at it than saying, I'm just going to read more books or I'm going to go to this conference or event. Really thinking about it as an investment in yourself and not an expense. And so there's lots of ways to, to spend that money. There's always lots of ways to spend that money. It could be attending a conference where you not only are going to learn, but maybe you're going to make some connections or have the ability to build relationships, seminars that you can attend or, or, you know, monthly meetings in your community. Maybe that means you finally invest in a coach for yourself. If your company won't pay for it, maybe there's value in investing for that personally. Or if you own your own company and saying that this will help me grow myself and my business could be joining a mastermind. I've been in two masterminds last year. I significantly invested in a high-end mastermind because I wanted access to the leader of the mastermind in addition to what they were teaching and and definitely got some benefit from that. This year, I haven't made a decision about where I'm going to invest my personal development funds fully, but already I'm doing things. But I think coaching and a mastermind, especially if you do work for yourself or have a significant side hustle business, is a potentially good opportunity for you to learn and grow. And then I've invested quite a bit of money in the past in online courses, uh, some of which I've not taken advantage of yet still, but I have them. And of course, there's books and other ways to learn. So you can count books and things in your personal development. But if you're not spending any money, because it's an investment, or time, which is also an investment in developing yourself, I think that That is unfortunate, not only unfortunate, but it also means that you're not able to have the most impact in the world because you're not growing. So make sure don't just let the man, again, your boss or somebody else say, well, we don't have budget this year for anyone to go to a training class or you can only go to one $500 training class. Find ways either to find funds from other sources, again, for supplies or books or, or things like that. Uh, if you are at a level or a position in your business where you can justify a coach, which you more than likely can if you can if you are in any kind of leadership 
uh, position because the decisions that you make, if you can do the right business case for it, could pay for the coach, obviously, or a mastermind group. So think about that in terms of investment and plan it. You've, you've heard several things about being intentional and planning. So I'll link again into that post from Dan and podcast on his blog titled Invest in Yourself. But I love his kind of framework for three to five percent every year. So he makes a lot of money now as a best-selling author and has, you know, high-end masterminds, et cetera. So the fact that he is still investing 5% of the year and in the presentation that I, I saw him do, he showed like some specific investments that he had make and what the ROI had been on those. And I think when you approach it again from a business mindset as an investment, he's looking for the ROI and was able to show that and justify it. And I believe you and I can too. Number nine, schedule time for gratitude and appreciation. That's a theme if you've been listening to the Impact Makers podcast, and it's a theme for a couple of reasons. Number one, I'm saying it over and over again because I want to do it more and be better at it. Number two, I know there are people out there who see really significant benefits because they are intentional about being grateful and also about showing appreciation to others. So I've covered it before, but it's important. And if you think about your own life, you're probably like me, you think you're better at it than you are in terms of showing appreciation to others. But the reality is the people all around us crave being recognized and acknowledged and appreciated and you can do more. So even if you already think you're doing a great job and maybe you are doing a good job, I guarantee you you can do more. And if you're not being intentional about it, you're probably not doing it at all. So whether that's putting time on your calendar to say, I'm going to go out and look for somebody doing something right. I'm going to put 10 pennies in my pocket. I'm going to move them to the other pocket every time I find somebody doing right. Or I'm going to write one thank you note a week like Jesse or he does it once a day. Whatever that is, how are you showing appreciation for others? And how are you showing gratitude? My friend Laurie Rudiman calls it gratitude porn. You know, there's everybody out there talking about gratitude, gratitude, gratitude journals, gratitude books, gratitude, everything. I think a lot of people are talking about it because it does make sense. And I again, when conversations, whether it's coaching conversations or with family members, a lot of times when people are struggling or they really have are in some challenging situations, I try to remind them that a daily gratitude practice, and I've shared before Sean Acor's uh, The Happiness Advantage, one of his six daily practices is around gratitude. I think you you have a hard time being in a negative space when you're thinking about what you're grateful for, because so many of us have things we can be grateful for. So make others around you feel appreciated, even those that you don't know well, they don't necessarily even have to be on your team. Again, what if you wrote a nice note and left it behind for the server who gave you great service or the family that you saw that was sitting at the restaurant really engaging with their children and you drop off a note or stop by and say something kind to them? You will get more out of sharing the gratitude and appreciation with others, I guarantee you, than they will. But they'll also get something out of it. So plan some gratitude and do it. And finally, rounding out the top 10 of things that I believe that you and I should do to make 2020 the best year ever. You heard about it in my last podcast episode. If you listened to that, my BFF conversation with Laurie Rudiman, one of the things that was a big revelation for me in 2019 was the idea of creating a Sabbath day each week and honoring it. And again, 
You don't have to have a religious context around this. You may understand Sabbath from that. But the actual definition, I think, of a Sabbath day comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to rest from labor or a day of rest. So there are also, again, some religious connotations that you may or may not subscribe to. But I'm talking about it from the day of rest perspective. And so I have started doing this. I'm going to continue doing this, you know, whether or not I've seen real payoff or dividends yet, I don't know, but I think um, it's something that will be cumulative over time. Choosing one day a week. I think, uh, again, many of us who maybe grew up in certain faith traditions, you're set on the Sabbath day being Sunday or in some other traditions, maybe a Saturday. But I think the gist of it for me is having a day during the week that you honor as a day of rest. Because some people, you know, physicians and emergency room personnel, et cetera, they have to work on certain days of the week. So as long as you're able to set aside at least one day, I think that that can still benefit you. So I tend to look at it as terms of either Saturday or Sunday, but like over the holidays, I chose both Thanksgiving and Christmas Day as my Sabbath day. Uh, And those are days where I don't work. And again, if you've listened to that conversation, work for me is kind of just a continuous uh, state of being in the sense that I always have a device with me or I can always be thinking about work. But really being intentional about not working at least one day a week means not opening up email, means not probably even going on to social media sites for me in my case, other than just for pure liking photos on Instagram maybe, but even that can, can move into some work thoughts sometimes. But I watch TV. I organize things around the house. I go for a walk. I don't even, in my case, usually go ride my horse on my, quote, Sabbath day because, not because that's work, but more that it is a commitment, you know, that I need to leave at a certain time. I'm going to end up being there two to three hours. And I want my Sabbath day to be kind of uh, free and free flowing. So, so far I look at the calendar or like last night was a Sunday night and I'm planning my week and I pulled up the weather app and I looked to see kind of what the weather was going to be this week because the weather can affect when I ride and don't. Uh, And so I have chosen for this week that my Sabbath day will be on Sunday because that looks like the cloudiest, coldest, rainiest day of the weekend, which may or may not turn out to be that way. Of course, I could always change. But I think the, the idea of a day of rest you may have a faith tradition that you practice and is, and feel like, you know, that's been kind of your way of honoring a Sabbath in the past. I think many of us have kind of lost track of the idea of actually resting from whatever it is that we do. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom and your Sabbath means that either a portion of the day or <clears throat> may not be realistic to say one day a week, but that somehow you're able to shake up what you do on a day-to-day basis. So, I think the idea of a Sabbath is going to be life-changing for me because I need to honor some downtime and having that kind of framework for me is is a way to look at it. But I also think it's something that all of us can take advantage of. And again, the particular day of the week or how you choose to spend it to rest and rejuvenate is really up to you. And again, it doesn't have to be a Sunday. Excuse me. We're keeping that in. The voice is leaving me, but um, I will be leaving you too shortly. Uh, I just hope that you're able to put in a Sabbath. No work, maybe no devices. Maybe don't leave your house. Watch TV, read, organize, go for a walk, play games with your family. 
but basically do something that makes you feel better, healthier, and happier, and then protect that day. Once you set it, forget it. That's the day. We're not going to accept, you know, invitations or meetings or whatever it is, because that is a priority for you, a day of rest. So 10's my favorite number, by the way. So I had nine originally, and I added another one because I like round numbers. I hope that was good for you. And that's what I'm thinking about as I prepare to set my goals for 2020. Uh, even if you've already completed your goal setting process, you're an overachiever, obviously, or you hadn't planned to set any, I hope these suggestions will provide you with some things to consider as you prepare to create more impact at work and in life in 2020 and beyond. And remember, if you haven't yet hit subscribe to this podcast, I'd really, really appreciate it. And oh, by the way, if you'd like to go write a review or give me a five-star rating for the Impact Makers podcast, that would be wonderful as well. I've noticed some new reviews are popping up as we've restarted the season for the podcast. And I really appreciate those of you that have taken the time to do that, as well as to share on social media with the hashtag Impact Makers podcast that you're listening and what your takeaways are are from the podcast. I love you. And I hope to see you here next week because I'm committed. I'm going to be here next week for you. Thanks and have a great day. It's time for you to get noticed, create change and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review. 